The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello and welcome to The Provoke Podcast. I'm Diana Marzalek. I am senior reporter with Provoke Media. And today I have with me Patrick Kreitzer, who is CEO of Tillamook. And I am going to let you, Patrick, tell us a little bit about the multi-sort of faceted entity that is Tillamook and, and how it works. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me, Diana. Um, so Tillamook is a 111-year-old farmer-owned cooperative. Uh, we primarily, our business is selling branded uh, dairy products. And so our main businesses are cheese, ice cream, sour cream, yogurt, butter, and, uh, you know, we uh, are, as a cooperative, we're owned and governed by the, the members uh, that live in Tillamook County, the dairy farmers that live in Tillamook County, and from whom we, we source milk. Um, and, uh, you know, the business started a long time ago with, uh, uh, as a collection of a lot of tiny cooperatives and, um, and then was formed in 1909 into a single cooperative, farmer-owned cooperative. And uh, over the last, um, you know, uh, six or seven years, we've grown substantially where before we were primarily a Pacific Northwest focused uh, cheese and ice cream company. And, uh, you know, over uh, the years, sort of 2014 through 2017, we grew quite a bit in the Western United States. And then beginning in 2018, we've expanded uh, significantly nationally and in most markets across the United States. Which is great. So I, we're, we're talking at a, at a, a difficult time. Um, as you mentioned just to me before we started, your northern, uh, the Northwest is looking at, at fires. Um, the pandemic has certainly affected the farmers. And we have spent so much time and have had so much attention recently to issues like food security. Um, early in the pandemic, it was questions of um, food availability. We've talked about the food service industry and the effects that the pandemic has had on that and the closing down of those businesses. But I'm wondering where the farmers have been in this conversation and if they have been accurately um, represented or in the forefront of, of, of this conversation. Yeah, Diana, that's a great question. And I, I think what's happened is that um, the ways in which the COVID uh, situation changed consumer buying patterns, notably people going from uh, out-of-home consumption to in-home consumption, uh, and the changes that made in terms of demand and how the supply chain reacted to it and all that really amplified this particular issue that you've raised. Um, you know, we have a, a particular, in the dairy industry and across food, we have a, a pretty disaggregated food supply chain. So, you know, agricultural producers selling to uh, either consolidators or processing plants that maybe sell to further conversion happening, like cutting and wrapping in our case, uh, in our industry's case, and then and then maybe on to a brand, a company that owns the brand and then sells to the retailers and all that. And so um, mostly uh, all of us as consumers are pretty far away from agriculture. Uh, we've certainly gotten far away, but away from agriculture over the generations. And uh, likewise, farmers are pretty far from the point of sale and the, the, the representation of their products uh, at market. And so, um, you know, as a, as a co-op, that's something that we feel like is a little bit unique about us and that we're, we're really shortening the distance between farmers and consumers. Uh, farmers own the business as a CEO. 
I work for farmers uh, uh, as a board. Um, and we're, I'm also out there talking to, we're out there as a brand talking to consumers and retailers. And so they, they have much more market involvement and market access. Uh, but because of the di- general disaggregation of the supply chain, that's sort of unique. And w- what we end up with is, um, I mean, certainly uh, food brands and food processors have developing programs to be more in touch with what's happening in agriculture. Uh, but but a- agriculture uh, and the farmers themselves don't tend to have a lot of uh, influence or direct uh, direct voice in what's happening in the marketplace. And so, um, you know, I'm not sure how different, uh, that would have been other than maybe more flexible supply chain in, in what happened so rapidly with COVID, you know, of course, uh, you know, in our, in, in our industry, for example, farmers ship milk to processing plants that are processing mozzarella or something for, um, for, you know, consumption of pizzas out of home. And then all of a sudden that pizza consumption drops drastically. And now the farmers, you know, the plant can't just change to some other product and farmers can't just shift ship somewhere else. So, um, so that was a pretty rapid dislocation, kind of unique situation, but, um, but generally we would like to see uh, business models and relationships where the farmer's voice is, is much more involved in the supply chain. And I think that's something, you know, just a, a little more about that. I think that's something that's important because um, if we look at the food systems overall, uh, food systems at the center of a lot of big complex problems facing the world, um, you know, environmental conservation, uh, you know, uh, a growing middle class, uh, increase in population, uh, globalization, all of these, these things that we're uh, societally and economically struggling with and have to figure out. And the more voices in the conversation for those solutions, the better those solutions are going to be. And notably agriculture, these are the folks that are producing our food every single day, day in and day out. And they know the challenges and opportunities. And, you know, my observation is that there's a lot of alignment between what consumers want to see, lower environmental impact, good quality food, good animal care, all that. There's a lot of alignment between that and what farmers want to have happen as well. But uh, without the farmer's voice in the conversation, pretty hard to come up with solutions that actually work. Well, is it, is it historically that farmers have not been in the conversation? Because it, I don't, what is the agricultural business? How do we quantify what the agricultural business is? But it's got to be a major. Yeah, um, I don't actually have that number in front of me, but it's massive. I right. Mean, the, you talk the, about how many people are being fed, not only in this country, but in other countries, right? From, from our yeah, so It's a massive industry, and yet a very small percentage of Americans, for example, are involved in agriculture in any way. It's, I mean, it's less than 5%. So, um, whereas historically, uh, you know, we used to maybe know the butcher or uh, have dealings with the farmer or, or live, you know, when, we, when many of us used to live more rurally, uh, we would have some relationship with somebody in agriculture, but now, you know, that, that's, that's just not the way the world is today. Um, and most of us are pretty far removed from knowing anyone, knowing that fewer than 5% of the population that's actually involved in agriculture. So not only are we not involved in agricultural production generally, I am, but I'm saying we generally aren't uh, the average person, but we just don't even know anything about it. We don't know anyone, even though it is a large business. And of course, 
uh, fairly critical. Uh, no food, no eating. <laughs> and we Absolutely. Eat. So the, all, all of us that like to eat should probably care a little more and be a little more aware of, of what's happening uh, in, the, in the food system. Right. You mentioned that, that we are trying to elevate the voice or on a path to elevating the voice of, of the farmers. Is that correct? I mean, yeah. what is the path to doing that? There's so many big lobbies out there. There's so many um, commercialization. And I get that the brands are having, you know, the food brands are having their moments in the spotlight, but not the farmers. So how do we elevate their voice? Yeah, I mean, I think well, one of the ways that, that we're doing that is by pulling through the voice of the farmer into the brand communication. So the stories we tell about our brand, uh, uh, you know, are involve the farmer related to the farmer reference, the, the, the work that they put into creating the products that we're all enjoying. And, you know, other brands, uh, you know, are increasingly doing that. I think there's, there's a need for them to do more of that. Um, the, the other thing is, you know, we're, again, we're a unique position. We're in a unique position because, you know, I'm talking to farmers every day as the CEO of this brand, uh, of this branded company. Uh, but I do see a move in, in other, in other food companies, some, uh, towards developing, uh, a more mutually beneficial long-term productive discussion. Um, and so that's a good first step. Uh, you know, we, we, um, are continuing to look for ways to, uh, re-educate people about agriculture, about lifting up those stories. And we've got a program right now uh, called All for Farmers that is intended to do that, do just that, to, um, to it, it kind of expose people to real life stories around farming, um, as well as to give them a channel, to, to give people a channel just to say thank you. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing that on social media where you can, uh, you know, you can say, uh, you know, say thank you to a farmer and we'll, we'll get, we'll amplify that. So, um, you know, I, I think brands can do more. Um, you know, one of the challenges is that some of the, some of the things that we're dealing with in the food system are pretty complex. And so, um, you know, in, in a, in, in six square inches of packaging or in the, everything that gets boiled down into a particular certification is pretty difficult to understand all the uh, you know, attention that goes into, you know, responsible agriculture. Um, so that's something that, you know, I think um, is a little bit on the consumer side, you know, con consumers engaging more deeply as all consumers are across all brands these days, you know, wondering who are these people? What do they stand for? Um, how is this product produced? Where was it produced? Who's behind it? Uh, you know, across food, but also all categories. Um, I think that's a good move too. That's a good sign that people are interested and in learning more about the brands and the products that they're, uh, that they're consuming. And then also that puts, I, that's a new uh, or, or an emerging or growing onus on farmers, right? To adapt to what the consumers are looking for. And what my understanding is, and tell me that I'm wrong, is that you could, it, it's very difficult or to truly answer the demands to truly be a sustainable product or to get that organic certification that there are different levels and it's very bureaucratic and technical. I mean, farmers have to go through a lot to meet these demands, correct? Well, they do. And there, and there are some inherent challenges and complexities to, to the kinds of certifications like you mentioned organic um, because while, um, while those certifications um, kind of, it can encompass certain elements of production, uh, you know, um, 
use of pesticides or whatever, uh, they, they don't, they can't, they don't really encompass everything. And so, you know, there's been some sort of negative publicity around, uh, you know, somebody that's got a certain certification, but is engaging in other practices that folks wouldn't be comfortable with. And so, um, you know, I, I would say that generally what I've observed, uh, in, in the industry, not just in our cooperative, but across the dairy industry and agriculture in general, is that, um, you know, again, there's a good alignment between what consumers want and what farmers want. Uh, and, but, you know, good agricultural practices that, um, that are regenerative, regenerative in terms of the, the environment that care for animals that are involved in the system. Well, um, they, they, they take the leverage, they take the use of technology, they take investment, uh, they take creativity, smart management, and, you know, this is what modern farming is about. It's, uh, it's the use of technology and creativity and, and, and innovation to um, produce, you know, uh, high quality, safe food at a, at a fair price uh, and, and to do it, um, you know, meeting all the expectations that we all have of, of the impact. So what are the programs you have in place that are boosting awareness of farming? Yeah, so actually right now we we're running this all for farmers uh, program, uh, which is designed to both raise awareness for farming and also raise some money to, to help folks through this current situation. Um, so we're asking, we're inviting people to get involved in this program in three ways. The first is uh, to, you know, learn more about modern farming by uh, watching videos that we have posted on, on our website, Tillamook.com that feature farmers from around the country. So that's a great way to kind of get reconnected with agriculture and learn some more about farming. The second is, um, you know, we're committing to fund uh, programs through a partnership we have at American Farmland Trust uh, to, um, to both provide direct grants to farmers uh, to help them get through this current situation and uh, to help preserve farmland uh, through the Farmland Trust structure. And so we, we actually, during the month of September, we're donating 10% of our sales. So, uh, you know, if folks are hearing this in September, they could, uh, you know, buy our products and, and we'll, we'll donate money uh, to uh, American farmland trust programs that are helping out in the current situation. And then the other way that folks can get involved is, is just by, you know, uh, by saying thank you to farmers. So if you post on social media, hashtag all for farmers, we're, um, we're going to pass on those thank yous uh, to farmers around the country. And, uh, and, you know, as a little bonus, if you throw in hashtag sweepstakes, we're going to draw some names and we're going to give away a free year of ice cream. It <laughs> doesn't get better than that. <laughs> yeah. So, Hey, ice cream, you're helping folks out and, uh, and you're saying thank you. So anyway, that's, that's the, that's the program that we're running right now. One of a series of things that we're planning to do to, to try to raise awareness and, and to support farmers around the country. I um, have been impressed in the past when I've seen the technology that farmers use now. It's not what we think of as traditional farming and, you know, the plows and the hayfield. Um, we write a lot about business transformation. We talk a lot about business transformation. Um, I was speaking with someone yesterday who said nine out of 10 businesses are in, in transformational state. Um, would you say that about farming? Oh yeah, I would definitely say that. Um, you know, uh, Technology is increasingly being used, uh, at, certainly at the in large scale farming, but even in small scale farming. So, um, what I can there's a 
a member of our cooperative. Uh, it's a century farm, uh, third generation working on the farm, relatively small in terms of number of cows. Uh, they're using robots to milk the cows. And, uh, you know, I've been sitting with, uh, with, with the principal family member that's running that farm and, and he, you know, watched him check his iPhone, uh, to see some, what's something that's happening with a particular cow. So, so it's like smart milking. It's like milking yeah, by exactly. an app, basically. Yeah. And, th- and there are benefits for the animals and there are benefits for the, the cost. And, you know, like every industry, um, what's happening in agriculture is that scale and the use of technology are driving the overall cost down. And that puts pressure on the smaller farms that aren't, um, you, you know, that are, that are, that, that don't have the advantages of scale or the use of technology. And, uh, you know, cooperatives can be a powerful uh, antidote to that in terms of, you know, being able to leverage, you know, come together and even at small scale and leverage uh, technology and, and, and other scale advantages. But, um, you know, there's certainly a trend uh, towards larger agriculture and, um, and, uh, and, you know, many of the smaller farms are consolidating in the dairy industry and across many, many industries. And, you know, there, there's kind of a narrative that gets written about that around big farms putting or big corporate farms putting small farms out of business. And I just don't think that captures the situation, actually, because you have lar- what many folks would think of as large, you know, thousands of acre agricultural enterprises that are family owned. They're run actively by family members and owned by multi-generational families. Um, and, and, you know, it's just kind of the natural way of things, you know, uh, uh, people demand lower cost uh, in the marketplace. And, and so that naturally moves towards scale and the use of technology. And, but, you know, again, the, those advantages can be realized by smaller farms as well. And certainly on the technology front, um, that, that's happening. Yet farmers now, especially post-pandemic, I mean, a lot of them took a, a very big financial hit, correct? They did, yeah. In fact, uh, you know, the, the, the impact of, you know, first long-term trends and costs and, and price, market price, was not favorable. Um, and then you layer on top of that some of the trade uncertainty. Um, you know, which is, you know, U.S. agriculture is best in the world. And most of the farmers I talk to and association, farming associations I talk to say, just let us, let us compete and let's create a, an even playing field and let us compete because we're good at this. And they really are. Um, but, uh, but uncertainty creates some issues. And then you layer on top of that for some in particular where they just saw their markets dry up, you know, immediately. Uh, and there was, a, you know, there was a lot of coverage of that right when COVID hit, uh, uh, and that, and that's been tough on, that's been tough on many, you know, one thing I, I point out, cause we're talking about the impact on, uh, on, of COVID and, and the, the pandemic health wise and economic wise on, on agriculture, um, and on the food, food system, we can all recall back in March and April when, and I was doing some interviews back then on national television shows and other, other spaces that were saying, you know, are we going to run out of food? And, you know, the thing that I would point out is that we didn't run out of food. Uh, I mean, you might go to the grocery store and everything's gone one day, but the next day you went and it was all back. Or a couple of days later, it was pretty much all back. And I think that speaks to, the, to, to the, this amazing uh, U.S. food system that we have. I mean, 
agriculture kept working through the restrictions and risks of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, the food processors kept working and, and uh, retailers kept working and, and figured out ways to meet the demand, the big spikes in demand, which is basically what we saw. Um, people is that eat. what it was? It was basically like buying, hoard, I don't want to say hoarding, but it was food hoarding. I mean, it was buying up, panic buying and all of that. Is that what the problem was? It, it was two things. It, that was certainly one was pantry filling. You know, I better go out and get all this food in case it's not there. And I mean, we saw that with toilet paper and everything else, right? I mean, right. people didn't consume any more toilet paper than they were consuming before, obviously. <laughs> um, but, but the other thing that happened in the food business is that, um, you know, just the point of consumption shifted immediately from out of home where, where we were seeing, you know, for the first time a couple of years ago, consumers dollars spent for food out of home exceeded in home. So there was definitely this move to out of home consumption, this move to things like on the go eating and snacking. And then immediately what happened is we saw a shift back to not just in home consumption, but meal preparation and some of these other things that weren't, you know, you may have tried to buy flour, all of a sudden flour was gone, right? I'm not sure who knew how to use flour before the, before COVID hit, but uh, a lot of people figured it out, right? When their like yeast was, yeast was gone, like crazy exactly. things I didn't expect, right? All these things people learn how to use, which is great. You know, people are cooking at home and enjoying that. And that's something certainly we, we try to uh, assist with and, and promote, but but what happened more than anything was certainly pantry filling, but also just this shift in the point of consumption. And then you need different pack types and all that. And so, for example, we shipped some uh, large scale packaging or retail packaging, uh, sorry, food service packaging to retailers. Uh, because what retailers were noticing was people are coming in and buying six of something. Maybe we can just give them a bigger package. Um, and by the way, all the packaging equipment and all the plants and everything that were making that food that was going into food service and the larger pack types uh, didn't have any demand. So can we switch to shipping that stuff to retail? And so some of that happened, but you know, it, it certainly was, it, it, you know, the supply chain is not so flexible and, and, and it just, you know, you change, you need to have diff, complete change in demand. Yeah. Cheese is cheese, but in this pack format at this grocery store, as opposed to in this packaging format, in a, in a restaurant, uh, you, know, you can't just switch it like that. So that's a lot of what happened, but you know, again, uh, the food system adapted and we didn't, we, you know, even with the pantry filling and the change to the supply, you know, the demands on the supply chain and the pack types and the point of purchase or point of purchase and point of consumption. Um, you know, people might've had to wait a few days, but we didn't run out of food. Right. And the farmers sound, I mean, so they were really frontline workers. Um, as much as anybody, I mean, they're feeding people. I mean, but they're sort of the unsung heroes, right? Why don't they get the attention they deserve? Yeah, absolutely. I, I asked the same question. I mean, the, the, uh, the um, you know, agricultural workers uh, have been out there doing their job every single day, day in and day out uh, during this pandemic, where, while a lot of us maybe were, were quarantined at home. And um, not only that, but also, uh, you know, the folks that work in food manufacturing facilities, um, you know, in our case, cheese has to be made and cheese has to be packaged and ice cream has to be made and packaged. And, um, you know, I, I believe those folks, and, and I say that to them, you know, every day that they're, they're heroes as well. I mean, you know, uh, certainly different dimension from healthcare, frontline healthcare workers and things, but 
we needed them to continue to, to go to work. And, and I can just say like within Tillamook, um, folks took a lot of pride in that. Uh, it, I mean, certainly those that were working in, uh, in the farms and those that are working in our plants, um, we talk a lot about how uh, we have an important role to play in helping to feed the nation um, in, in, you know, during the lockdown, during the situation. And we need to keep coming to work. We need to do it in ways that keep our people safe, which means that the folks that are coming to work on farms and in factories are going through even more discomfort and challenges and wearing masks and getting their temperatures checked and social distancing from each other inside the plant and doing extra cleaning and all the things that are required to keep, keep themselves and each other safe and to keep our, our factories operating and our farms operating. And so um, certainly they, they, they've been, I, I do think to some degree, the, the unsung heroes of the situation, certainly the heroes that we have focused on are certainly heroes. So absolutely, I don't want to absolutely, yeah. all from them, but, uh, but I do feel like this is a dimension of, of the economy that just kept going and uh, needed to keep going. And um, I'm not sure it's gotten the attention that it probably should have. In all of that, how do you um, get the next generation of farmers or agricultural workers or technologists that work in agriculture? How do you, how, how do you get the next generation interested? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, we're headed for significant uh, transition in farmland uh, given that, you know, I think the average age of farmers in the U.S. is 65 or so. So, you know, we're, we're headed for uh, family generational transition or, you know, leadership transition and different corporate uh, structures. And, um, you know, and, and that also is true. So, so certainly we're, you know, the, the job has to get and the work and the business itself has to get um, more lucrative and more and and has to stay interesting and that so we're gonna have to leverage you know technology I mean I the the farmer that I talked about earlier that was checking his iPhone to see how his individual cows were were doing um, you know I know one of his motivations for that was to get his son uh, he happens to have a son who who he would like to have in the business and show some interest in the business and you know the use of technology makes it more interesting, right? So, so I think that's important. Um, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, this migration to cities in the U.S. and around the world. And in some ways that's uh, created challenges for rural life and rural communities. Those communities have to thrive. They have to have good education. They have to have broadband access. They have to they have to have good quality of life. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to have people in agriculture because that's where they need to live to do it. So um, investment in rural communities, uh, leveraging technology, ensuring that we're, uh, you know, I mean, we, we is a source of pride, but also a challenge is the fact that we pay uh, less for food as a percent of disposable income in the United States than any other developed country in the world. Because food is less expensive here food is less expensive here so that's great and that speaks to the the efficiency and ingenuity of our agricultural system but it also is the result of very intense downward price pressure on agriculture and i'm not sure that's sustainable uh i think that we um you know we need to uh ensure that 
folks are getting paid fairly for the hard work they're doing in agriculture. That's another piece to making sure that there's another generation coming up behind, behind the, the current generation. I mean, you know, my observation is that um, folks that are farming do it for a lot of reasons. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, it, there, there's, a, there's a lot of amazing elements to, um, you know, it's a family business in many cases. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it ta- it's, it's entrepreneurial. It takes an amazing amount of creativity and ingenuity and brain power to do on a day in and day out basis. You're always getting something different thrown at you. Um, you have to plan for the long term. You have to adjust to the seasons. I mean, it's just all these amazing reasons, but they're not going to do it for free. Uh, you know, it has to work because the people choosing to farm are smart people that can be doing a lot of other things too. And so we're going to have to ensure that it's, it's economically viable as well as interesting and, uh, and all that. So, you know, th- that's going to be important. There are also some, um, you know, U S farm debt is at record, you know, at levels have that haven't been seen since the farm crisis of the eighties. I mean, that, that debt, that debt, structure uh that that debt's going to have to be you know dealt with and part of that goes back to the economic viability of of farming because who's going to be able to take on that amount of debt and get into that that very asset intensive business absolutely well i find this all fascinating i appreciate you having this discussion with us because again it's uh it's something i I love to delve into a little bit more because i know so little about it and it's not getting the attention that that it deserves so i appreciate what you're doing well thank you thanks for having me it's um you know, I, I do feel like people are interested, but they're so far now from from uh, farming, and so I appreciate you bringing it to life a bit and and uh, and putting a spotlight on what these hardworking folks are doing day in and day out for all of us. Great. All right. Thanks for being with us. Take care. Thank, thank you, Diana. Take care. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.